All right, John. Um, okay. Maybe for like the beginning, we could all go. Ah! <laughs> and then you can. Oh, hey. I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. Welcome to Death by Footnote. This is a podcast. Is that what is this? Is it podcast? Is that what this officially is? I'm, I'm just calling it a show. It's a show. A showcast. Yeah, yeah a show. A show. Direct to Netflix. Show. A historical fiction show where we pick a theme from history and we pick a genre and then we try to short story and then we each mercilessly critique each other. So. <laughs> you guys were very easy on me last week. Oh, but it, it, it was such a good story. You guys were really easy on me. And I just want you to know, I plan on probably not returning the bit. <laughs> for the sake of our audience. It was the first episode, you know, I'd gauge the level of violence that yeah, we were going to exactly. have here. So, well, I'm John Bills. I'm here with Kenny and Jerem. And we are in the Industrial Revolution this time around. And we picked... Inventions of the oh, Industrial yes. Inventions Revolution. Inventions of the Industrial ah. Revolution. Yes. Yeah, and right. the genre is spooky. Also known as horror. I'm, I think we coined the genre. Spooky. It's now just the spooky genre. <laughs> it covers horror, ghost. Uh, <laughs> what? Ghost? Is that? Ghost. Horror. Spooky. Or maybe just something growing in the back of the refrigerator. Yeah, it's just like that could be spooky. A little bit of sci-fi could get into spooky genre. Definitely, nothing is quite as scary as science fiction. (laughs) Yeah. So our guest is last week, right? His the title of the story was SOS. SOS and I was thinking, yes, Salvation Organ Supplements, maybe about quack medicine. I will. I will. I would eat this M and M through my eye. If you're right. I really hope I'm right. John, don't fail me. We need to see this happen. Because that means Kenny could get an eye patch later. Do it for the views. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, yeah. So I'll get going here. So I'm going to read through this this short story, and then then you let me know what you think. And we'll read a new one. Once upon a time, there was a quack (laughs) doctor. Yeah. Dang it. That's a good idea. (laughs) Should have done that. All right. SOS. Somewhere in North Germany. At this point, he no longer knew what to do. The signal had repeated hundreds of times over the last two hours. When the pattern began, the cadence was very quick. Manic, more accurately, but how do you explain that to anyone not a radio operator? How do you convince them that this particular series of monotonous Morse code beeps was tinged with panic, while the dots and dashes earlier that afternoon were sent by someone trying to be funny? Now, however, the signal was coming in sporadically. The pattern was unchanged, but the tempo had slowed to an unpredictable rate. Whoever was broadcasting was struggling now, but refusing to stop. Waking up the station master and and requesting he address this issue in person had not been a pleasant experience. Of all the days to have an emergency, it had to fall on his superior's birthday. The operator had held off requesting any kind of aid for hours, but again, at this point, he no longer knew what to do. Giant white snakes of paper tape twisted across the dusty wood floor as the tape machine printed out the stream of babble. Several rolls had already been filled, but the operator kept replacing them. He needed proof of this. Otherwise, anyone else would think it a joke or a lie. He judged, however, that transcribing any of the message would be meaningless. 
It was just three letters on a seemingly endless loop. Dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. But why? Why would someone somewhere out there have the need to flood the air with invisible waves just to say S-O-S? When the station master opened the door, the wind forced the paper snakes to retreat under the equipment tables and desks. The burst of cold night air helped the operator brace for the station master's wrath, who was indeed fully prepared to unleash it. He paused in the entrance, though, and took in the scene of strewn paper tape. The room looked like he had arrived too late to his own birthday party. He sca- his scowl smoothed, and the curmudgeon gave in to curiosity. Like anyone with years of radio experience, he understood in seconds that the broadcast coming from the speaker was cyclical but senseless. S.O.S. 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 Stooping down, he freed a paper tail trapped under his boot. He ran a few meters of it through his gloved hands and saw no variation in the printed parade of triple dots, triple dashes, triple dots. The radio operator waited for his superior to take in the scene and felt a shade of relief that someone else was now witness to the night's insanity. The station master shut the door and began removing his gloves as he crossed the room. He was about to speak, but was cut off by a sudden silence. The broadcast had stopped. Spinning back to his desk, the operator quickly assessed that his equipment still had power. For the first time in hours, the hum of the electronics was the only noise in the room. The source of the signal had at last been cut off. While the operator did find some relief in his station returning to a quiet normal, he could not ignore the unease that lingered. He knew somehow that this strange SOS message had been sent out of fear. Someone in some unknown place had been very afraid and very desperate, but it was over now. Poldu Point, England, earlier that same night, Henry was helping to make the world a smaller place. He was part of a team of stationary explorers seeking to conquer the world's great distances through invisible means. Four years ago, he had overheard a few men talking about an Italian inventor who had just made his way to England to set up a new company claiming to provide wireless telegraphy. They balked at the idea that messages could be sent invisibly through the air, but to Henry, that sounded like real magic. Magic that he must understand. At the age of 16, Henry chose his obsession and did all he could to learn about Guglielmo Marconi and his inventions. The resources on radio technology available to him in rural Cornwall were little, but his ill fortune was reversed when the Marconi company began building a new transmission station in Poldu. He made the short trip to the site while the broadcast masts were still under construction, and then refused to leave until he himself was an employee of Marconi Company. Now he stood near the edge of a Cornish cliff looking out to the darkening horizon. The cold wind from the sea made his eyes water, but his mind was too occupied to care. He wondered if they had made history today. Behind him was Poldu Station, which hosted the most advanced wireless broadcast technology in the world. And in front of him, over 2,000 miles of ocean, and then another station in Newfoundland. Marconi, the man, was currently operating in Newfoundland. The plan long in the making was for Poldu Station to repeatedly broadcast at full power on December 12th. Marconi and his assistant would be listening and hoping to hear that broadcast and become the first to ever hear a wireless message sent across an entire ocean. They were trying to cross the Atlantic in an instant. Since the station in Newfoundland was far from as advanced or powerful as Poldu, Marconi did not have the ability to reply. If the repeated signal was heard, Henry would not know for many more weeks. 
so we stood on the cliffside imagining Marconi somewhere out there celebrating. Whether the repeated broadcast had been detected or not, Henry was still satisfied that they at Poldu had at least achieved a minor bit of history. He, along with the handful of other men operating this isolated station, had created the most powerful artificial radio signal ever. Typically, Henry would have only woken up about an hour ago in preparation for the overnight shift, but he had skipped out on sleep today. How could he sleep through one of the station's most important days? He had to witness it, had to help it happen. Even so, the night watch still needed its radio operator. There might be a lot more yawns tonight as he manned the broadcast building, but he was young. One missed sleep felt inconsequential. As the red sky slipped towards a deep purple, Henry turned away from the darkening ocean and began the short walk back to Poldu Station. Despite housing technical marvels, the station consisted of just a few simple buildings. One housed a steam engine for generating the electricity needed to supply their massive broadcast signal. Poldu was too remote to have transmission lines running from any of the more developed cities in the south of England. Another shack stood as the repair shop. With how much power they were generating, there was constant need to repair strained equipment. Then there was the bunkhouse for sleeping and socializing. It even included a small library to enjoy during time off. These simple structures were laughably dwarfed, though, by the pride of Poldu, the broadcast aerial. Two wooden masts, spaced 200 feet apart, each piercing 160 feet into the air. A wire ran from one peak to the other, and suspended from this wire, 50 more wires hung evenly spaced, all running down to the same point on the roof of the broadcast building, like the ribs of a giant fan. This is what had been calling to Marconi and Newfoundland all day. Henry marveled at the sight every time. What they were achieving really felt like magic. A cold winter night was setting in as Henry entered the broadcast house. The equipment hummed and radiated enough heat to combat the Cornish cold. He removed his gloves and scarf and draped his coat over the back of his chair. There was no plan to broadcast tonight, but he would be on standby in case a message from elsewhere needed to be relayed to another point. He set his headphones over his ears and settled his weight into the chair in anticipation of a quiet night. Henry's eyes shot open and his head snapped to attention. Despite his belief in his youthful capabilities, he had dozed off. The familiar high-pitched beeps of Morse code woke him immediately. He looked around to see if anyone had caught him slacking at his post, but he was relieved to find he was still alone. In this short period of panic, he had missed the beginning of the broadcast, but the paper tape printer was already at work tapping out the dots and dashes for transcription. The incoming message was over quickly, far too quickly to possibly include relay instructions or details about the sender and the intended recipient. Tearing off the strip of paper, Henry unrolled the message. He was adept enough at Morse code that he could read it almost as well as plain letters. Any seasoned and self-respecting radio operator could. He stared at the short strip and then squinted at it with confusion. This made no sense. Only three words had come through. Stop our suffering. The short phrase was chilling and Henry felt a pit forming in his stomach that he couldn't explain. This was just a typical telegraph, but it somehow felt different. There was malice to it, impatience, rage. How could that be? He wasn't sure. But he was sure of what he was feeling. His pulse was rising, and he looked around the room once again and once again confirmed he was alone. Could the other men somehow be playing an elaborate trick on him? He was the youngest employed at the station, and that made him the preferred target for practical jokes. If this was the latest prank, then some serious work had gone into this one. 
Still, that didn't justify the anxiety beginning to ferment in his gut. He flinched as the beeping in his headphones began again. The printer immediately went to work once more, spitting out another brief set of code. Stop our suffering. Who was broadcasting this little piece of insanity? The pit in Henry's stomach was getting more sour by the minute. He was having trouble sitting comfortably. Perhaps he could walk it off. He set down his headphones and pushed his chair back and began to pace the room. After a few turns, he was halted by the tapping and scratching of the printer. Another brief message was coming in. He didn't even have to go look to know this was another set of nonsense. But it was a different message this time. He tore off the latest slip from the machine and read, Sever our struggles. The warmth of the room was now becoming hard to stand. Sweat stood out on his forehead and his breathing became shallow. Where was this cloud of dread coming from? This was just a bunch of dots and lines on paper. He didn't get to ponder long when the tap and scratch resumed. When the printer was still once more, he stood rooted in place, staring at the curled sheet, fresh with ink. His mind struggled with curiosity and caution. It was just a bunch of dots and lines on paper. He tore the tape and unrolled the new message. See our sickness. The wooden slots of the broadcast house wall suddenly shook as a gust of wind screamed outside. Henry could feel the chill of it thread through the imperfect boards, his sweat now creating a damp, uncomfortable cold. This was enough to spark action. Henry dropped the most recent message, grabbed his coat, gloves, and scarf, and dressed as he made his way to the door. Whether this was a practical joke or whether this was more sinister, he was going to wake the others in the bunkhouse. He burst into the night, and the cold cut through every layer he wore. Cornwall could go through all four seasons in a day, so he was used to strange weather, but this cold seemed to reach his soul. The shock of it halted his steps, and he pulled up his collar and hunched his shoulders in search of any possible warmth. The salty sea air stung, and a painful howl blew in from the west. He looked out toward the ocean and could see a dense fog racing in, barely visible in the moon and starlight. He had never seen fog roll in like this. It was moving faster than the wind, and the way it rolled made him afraid. It seemed hungry and looking to feed, and it would certainly reach him in only a few moments. This was the catalyst he needed. Spurred by a danger he sensed but didn't understand, he took off running toward the bunkhouse. Each step felt heavy, though, as if he was dragging weights. Despite his will to go faster, he felt like he was running in knee-deep water. The wind became a threatening growl, a predator chasing down prey. Henry looked back as the thick fog overtook him. He was now wrapped in a dense mist that obscured all landmarks and structures. Poldu had seemed to disappear around him in an instant. He stopped running because he heard something. He heard someone. Unsure of where the voice was coming from, he yelled, wanting to know who was there. The voice was repeating something that was becoming more distinct with each repetition. After a moment, he could finally make it out. Silence our screams. In the dark mist, Henry thought he saw shadows, rough shapes of hunched figures. A firm grip seized his arm, spinning him around. No one was there. Once more, he felt a grip and a pull, and he was forced to turn again. No one was there. Unsure of the direction to take, Henry decided moving was better than staying, and he stumbled ahead. The wind was full of screams, screams of anger, of pain, of impatience. His heart raced and his lungs burned from the cold, wet air. Then he heard another malicious, 
disembodied call. Share our slaughter. The demand he felt from the voice was maddening. He wanted to scream, but he couldn't find the breath to do so. He clawed off the scarf because he was certain it was getting tighter around his neck. His only point for reference was the ground beneath his feet, so he was not prepared for the impact with a wall he could not see coming. Because his head was down, his crown was the first to make impact. He bit his tongue hard and tasted blood. A gash under his hair released blood as well, but even that lost its warmth the moment it left the wound. He slumped to the ground and leaned back against the building he had found. He wished the wind would stop screaming. Its wrath felt personal and directed at him. What had he done to make it so angry? Then out in the fog, he saw the most distinct shape yet. A person, perhaps, but with each gust of wind, they seemed to dissipate and then reform, like a hand passing through a wisp of smoke. Whatever this specter was, it was slowly walking toward Henry, becoming darker and more defined as it closed in. This time the voice he heard came from the figure in the mist. Serve our souls. The piercing fear Henry felt triggered a deep urge to flee. Gritting his bloody teeth, he stood and moved quickly along the wall he had found. In a few feet, he had come across a door. Grabbing the latch, he stumbled inside and secured the lock. He was in a well-lit room and had to squint as his eyes adjusted. For the first time in a seeming eternity, he felt some relief. He was back in the broadcast house. He screamed and stumbled farther in when the door behind him rattled with a tremendous impact. It continued to shake as if someone was beating on the boards trying to get in. The banging and pounded multiplied as the walls on all sides began to shake. Whatever they were, they wanted inside. They wanted Henry. His sanity was beginning to drown in the incessant sounds. He saw the paper tape printer had continued to record in his absence. More messages, but he could hear them now being shouted from all directions. He didn't need to read the transcript. What could he do? He wanted the sounds to stop. He wanted them to stop so badly. He covered his ears and let the tears come. Slowly looking around the room, he saw his headphones resting on the desk and a single idea cut through the cacophony in his head. Stumbling over to the equipment lining the wall, he began flipping switches, allowing power to flow to the radio's high-tech spark transmitter. He then adjusted the frequency to allow in as much power as the, as the steam generator could provide. Unsure how long the equipment could sustain this level of current, Henry hurried to his desk and put on his headphones. He wanted to hear something besides the banging and the pounding. He needed to hear something besides the screaming and the shouting. His sanity was slipping and he could tell that soon he'd be helpless. Stop our suffering, sever our struggles, see our sickness, share our slaughter, serve our souls. The voices were coming from all around him. The pounding was even coming from the roof now. Henry turned his headphone volume to maximum, squeezed his eyes shut, and held down the transmitter, blasting his ears with a single and sustained tone. The relief was inexplicable and immediate. Sanity came flooding back. The splinter in his mind had suddenly been removed. The signal had saved him. The screaming choked off. Henry had just broadcasted the most powerful signal in human history, and it had won him silence. He slumped into the chair and laid his head on the desk in exhaustion. Henry's body was suddenly thrown to the floor. The wood wall panels splintered and cracked from an ungodly impact. Slivers flew and the screaming returned more enraged than ever before. The wall shook from hundreds of invisible hands banging and tearing at the boards. In that moment, Henry realized these specters had come because of the signal. 
a signal more powerful than ever before had enraged something dangerous from the unseen world, and they had come from the sea to destroy its source. Stop our suffering, stop our suffering, stop our suffering. The chorus was relentless now. He clawed back up to the desk and reached for the transmitter. Poldu Station had been the most important place to him in his life. The science of radio waves and wireless communication had given him purpose and joy. Now he would defend it for as long as he could. He had no idea how long the cir- before the circuits overheated under the tremendous electrical load he was allowing, but he would go until the end. The fog of madness was creeping back in his mind. He was finding it hard to concentrate again over the waves of hate buffeting the broadcast house, but he needed to start broadcasting. A warning, maybe? An explanation? But the dots and dashes of Morse code were becoming scrambled in his mind. Stop our suffering. Henry focused on the screams, and his thoughts latched on to the two simplest letters of Morse code. Dot, 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 and dash, dash, dash. The specter shouted stop, and he mirrored with the letter S. Dot, dot, dot. This time the invisible horde responded with inexplicable shouts of pain, but their clawing at the walls relented some. Hour. Henry responded with dash, dash, dash. Suffering, he fired back with 12 kilowatts of dot, dot, dot. The signal was indeed unleashing suffering on these tormented souls, but they were hell-bent at silencing it. The malice in their screams was driving Henry into madness. He squeezed his eyes shut as more tears fell. As his mind slipped away, one small part of him continued to send the simple signal. S-O-S. 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 It was all he could do now until the end came. Signal Hill, Newfoundland, that same night. For most of the day, Guglielmo Marconi had been listening to nothing else but static. To him, it was the sound of discouragement and failure. He had no way to know if Poldu Station had been able to broadcast at the appointed time. Equipment failure, weather, or miscommunication were all obstacles to his experiment. He could only hope that his team across the Atlantic were doing their part. His assistant, George Kemp, sat with him in a makeshift shed. Kemp was currently passing the time with a well-worn novel. More static. More time passed. Marconi closed his eyes as his mind tuned out the incessant hiss, but he bolted upright when the static started to sputter. Something was coming through. Though still weak and not easy to make out, Marconi heard the three distinct blips of the letter S. They had done it. His boys back home had done it. Signal received. Jumping up and ripping off his headphones, he excitedly held them out to his companion. Can you hear anything, Mr. Kemp? Oh, and that's the end. Oh. John, that was pretty awesome. Thank you. That's cool. Isn't that, is that the thing? Am I misremembering this bit of history? Isn't that the first message that they did send is SOS? Um, The first, they just broadcast in this actual history account, they just broadcast the letter S. Just S. Yes, because they were afraid long dashes would overheat the equipment. So they did the short, just dots, because they were worried it would burn out. Okay, so that is, so him holding it down, like that really is a risk of destroying the equipment. Uh, Uh, Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was like very, like it it took you back in time when you talked about like yeah, the heat radiating off of the mm. telegraphy equipment mm-hmm. and you don't think about that anymore because you're like, okay, that's like yeah. how much power can it possibly oh, yeah. take? It was yeah. tons of heat. I don't want to think about like 
other side effects of that technology. Like that much power just hanging out next to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Cancer studies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sure you could have some like radium factory kind of things going on yeah. there. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so something about all this um, that I thought was interesting. Um, you've got, it makes me think of like an HP Lovecraft story. Like the, um, you've mentioned in the story yeah. that these come from the sea, right? Mm-hmm. And so during the Industrial Revolution, we have this idea that mankind or humankind is um, pushing further into nature than they ever have before. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're bringing nature to heal. Um, and so there's this idea of introducing rationality to chaos and um, making everything line up in nice rows. But at the same time, it's like, are we pushing into spaces where that we don't fully understand, that we don't belong in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As I was doing my research, that was um, something that I discovered when they started broadcasting radio. There were definitely people who were like, you're broadcasting invisible messages and like mm-hmm. the unseen world might be able to hear these and stuff like that was a real concern of people is like what are you going to awaken or call yeah which is why we have just in in really interesting um fascinating kind of blend between spiritualism and sort of technological advancement happening during the industrial revolution right where we have like an obsession with seances and um people are kind of getting into this idea of like the unknown and um the intangible right uh some of my favorite parts of that time period and like just yeah, just watching everybody struggle with understanding things that they just have never understood before, mm. and like I think we see this echoed throughout history. You know, this time period is certainly one of those where you have so much uh, like technological innovation, and so people are just like looking for answers. I think we almost live in one of those right now, yeah. where it's just like like I think we're about to see an increase in spiritualism because of AI. Mm. This is, yeah, oh. here's my deep thought of yeah, the day. That is deep. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, no one understands AI. And, and there's a lot of questions that AI raises that we have mm-hmm. to confront, we haven't had to cr- confront before. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be kind of this like surge of, of like probing spiritualism just mm-hmm. to like do a sanity check for humanity. Be like, yeah. what is it we really do feel comfortable with? Where everyone's everyone's fine saying like there's no God or whatever when it doesn't matter. But like when suddenly like sentience is on the line, we yeah. have to be like, well wait now. <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> May, I, I just wanna make sure that's what I think, which you know is fine. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, I do like that. And uh Well, I mean I'd say that um talking about spiritualism and, and AI, I think that spiritualism has been a dimension of AI yeah. really ever since humans started thinking about it, right? Um, and that's how we get pretty much like all these sci-fi stories like Terminator and, you know, yeah. where AI inevitably destroys the human race and like takes on a mind of its own. And right. there's this idea that like you can't form thoughts without having some essence of a soul or some yeah. kind of right. spirituality. It reminds me, yeah, John's story has obviously done something good, I think, for a historical piece of fiction to do, which is put yourself into like the concerns of the period and then extrapolate to to what you have going on in present day or other periods of history. But it reminds me of, uh, like, like there was an episode of the X-Files early on mm. where there was an AI computer that was, like, going to take over the world, you know? And, like, mm. they were, like, so worried about this AI computer. 
but it's so funny looking back because this huge like computer housing and it's like beep boop boop beep boop boop with like green and red lights and like do 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 but they're just like no the computer can think for itself we're all doomed and I'm like oh yeah so it's just like fun to see what ages well what doesn't anyway I think what an interesting theme about like AI going rogue is I feel like the most used theme in that case is like AI finally sees humanity and decides we are terrible. Yeah. And that, that's a weird commentary yeah. on ourselves. It's like, like, a, like our greatest fear yeah. is that it's a mirror and <laughs> yeah. we don't yeah. like what the scale says. So yeah. it's like it's an like, impartial arbiter. I like the mirror analogy. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like we keep, when AI like wakes up, it's like, wow, you guys are terrible to each other. And so I'm going to take over because you're all children who can't. <laughs> well, because can't inevitably they can't make sense of all the contradictions inherent in, in human behavior. Yeah. 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 Because we're always saying one thing and doing another, and they guys like, this is not what you programmed me to do, you know? Yeah. So, so that's really cool. That's okay. a marching theme to Marconi. Story. Mm-hmm. So Marconi was legit the guy. Yes. So this is actually yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up with your story. You've got fictional character and a blend with yes. with real historical figures yes. which yeah. is always fun in my opinion mm-hmm. but also always tricky so mm-hmm. how much was true there like was marconi true that did he have this the station in poldu and in newfoundland mm-hmm. yeah. okay so that was true and marconi was in newfoundland okay. he had crossed oh. the ocean and he was on the receiving end listening for the signal and it was true that the Newfoundland station wasn't powerful enough to reply. Okay. So he was just out there, him and another guy on some shack on some Canadian hill, mm. trying to hear anything in the static. Yeah. And and it's debated whether or not he actually did. Oh, do you think yeah. he, like, he just kind of yeah, yeah. heard something? Yeah. And that's why your last line is good. <laughs> yeah. What, do you hear anything, Mr. Kemp? Yeah. Do you hear anything? Um, I also like the literary device of, you know, you kind of had the intro where we got to be here, you know, it's like see the scene of the SOS, 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 and it stopped. And so by the time, uh, you know, Henry decides to like hit that button, we're all thinking like, oh yeah, he's going to be the thing that stops. And so it's like this good dose of foreboding early for Henry. Yeah. We're like, he's little, a goner. Little Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Spirits from the there. sea. He's toast. Yeah. It all starts with thinking you can pull an all-nighter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I can lose a, a night no, of sleep. No, you can't. No yeah. You're done. That yeah. is the, that is Your the, judgment's uh, compromised. Yeah. That's it. That's you are the moral the of the story. Angry. If yeah. you don't go to bed, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I thought it was interesting how you left the um, sort of the, I don't want to use the term xenos, but the, the spiritual entities, right? You mm. left them very ambiguous. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. They, they aren't even human necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, um, just, it's, it's just sort of these nether forces well, that are angry. Yeah. I think that's what made give kind of the Lovecraftian vibe. Definitely. Because yeah. yeah. it's just like, we don't know what these are. They're mm-hmm. nightmarish. Yeah. And I always yeah. think with horror, like once you see, see the monster, monster yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The, the horror kind of goes away. So I never wanted a good look at yeah. these spirits. Once you see the monster, if it's CGI... Yeah, you're done. <laughs> it's like oh, practical effects. You might have a chance, <laughs> maybe, as long as it's not Jaws. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the part where he like comes up out of the water, he's like looking around and biting the rope. Not that Steven Spielberg is a bad director, and Jaws is great. That's a, that's a cinematic <laughs> masterpiece. You know, animatronic just... sea spirits getting into the shack, banging on the door, foam rubbers tearing as they. Splinter the boards. 
Saragossos. That's right. That's good. All right. Well, well, that was good. Okay. I, was, I was excited when SOS did not mean save our souls. No. Uh, or, um, and, you know, no, like, what, yours. is not what it traditionally means. So, oh, is that what the, it means? Yeah, what does the SOS mean? SOS originally did not mean anything. Oh, it means just scowled our scones. <laughs> it means <laughs> some scowled orange substance, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh, because it's just easy to It was easy, easy to, to transmit. That, it was that, distinct that, and easy. It was that S happened to be dot, 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 and O happened to be dash, dash, dash. Oh, okay. And so, it, was, mm-hmm. it was actually the Germans who came up with SOS first as a distress signal in Morse so codes. it wouldn't be an English meaning if it were anything. Yeah, so the, <laughs> right. like, it wouldn't be like something the, in German. <laughs> like the save our souls, <laughs> save our ship. Save our souls. It's been, <laughs> English. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was not thinking about that. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that, that meaning, the acronym has been like post as a post assignment to it. There's yeah. a term for that and I can't remember That's what it is. That's interesting. Kind of yeah. like how people will take like D-Day and say, that was Death Day. Yeah. Like, they didn't Whatever. know that ahead of time. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> no, was cool. Do we yeah. need to like rip this apart more? Yeah. I don't know. I feel we like we're failing on the Yeah, I know. We just, ribbing. we keep enjoying the <laughs> we story. We keep like, wow, that was great. Okay, I'll give you something to rip me about. There will be lots to rip me about. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay, so that's, yeah. So yeah, your story is next week. That's right. What's yeah. the title? Oh, mm. Okay, uh, so my story for next week. The title is simple question. You're taking a long. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's actually because I haven't given it a title. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. Uh, the the um, title. My document is titled "Death by Footnote Dot One." So. Right. We'll work on that. We could also. <laughs> I can't. We don't give it. Don't give us much to speculate on. <laughs> Alternatively, we could title it. Um, this story is about a girl, a boy, and rats. Rats. So <laughs> that could be Jeez. the title. Do you have any guesses as to what this story could be about? Based on it could be that? anything. Uh, rats. Rats are gross. A boy and a girl. <laughs> to my knowledge. The All three revolution. of those were around before the Industrial <laughs> Revolution. <laughs> the tale is all this time. The tale is all this time. A boy meets a girl <laughs> who's got a rat. Yeah, I feel ah. like, I don't know, I get like Upton Sinclair jungle vibes, like there's oh. rats in the food uh-huh. or uh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, or like uh, I heard once there's a royal rat catcher in Victorian times, uh-huh. and uh, this guy actually... Like made a social sensation of selling fancy rats. He, <laughs> what? He started, really? He started breeding royal rats. Oh my the, gosh! And like Victorians just started buying them up because they're like amazing <laughs> fancy rats, rats from, from, the, from the, palace. the castle. <laughs> <in> the palace. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping, but given your surprise, it doesn't sound like that's what the story uh, is. About. That, I mean, that would make money today. Oh yeah. So I love anyway. it. Sounds okay. like we've hit your story. Right on the money. That's yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, read it to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, if it's your first time listening, of course, too, where you uh, will send. Go ahead and head over to our site so you can sign up for the newsletter so you can vote at the end of the month after we hear Jerums, and you'll rate us all on quality of story as well as historical efficacy. Yes, right. Efficacy. Which really means like how well the period serves the narrative that we're yeah. telling. That's where the ribbing will come in. We'll let the public yeah, rip we'll, us apart. You know what? Maybe we wait to film the last episode of the month till we get the votes we back. React to the <laughs> outcomes. That That's would be fun. Not a bad idea. Yeah. We do that. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.